0: Be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. Every morning, you become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. And either you return investor capital or you register as a security. Which means, in my opinion, ninety nine point five percent of all shit coins out there, if faced with that choice, will just go quietly into the night and disappear.
1: It's going to be pretty tough for exchanges as well. Once you know ninety five to ninety nine percent of the coins that they list are have to be registered as securities, right? I mean, like that's just such a bad.
0: Well, not only that, then then model. also think of you know. Well, what happens to the exchanges? If you're an exchange making a market in unregistered securities, that's illegal. There's, you know, there's something is going to be done about that too. I mean, it it might be something as simple as, okay, well, we're going to slap you with a million dollar fine per unregistered security or something like that. If they don't want to take the exchanges out of the ecosystem and, and basically break their backs, they'll do something that allows them to continue as a business. I mean, if, if the fines are too big, then, you know, they're just done. But, I mean, my understanding is is that Coinbase maintains a, a treasury specifically for lawsuits, right, as all large, very large corporations do. So, I don't know. We'll see.
2: Yeah, I mean, that happened with BlockFi, right? I mean, they got slapped with, like, a $25 million fine for their lending stuff. But that was, like, a fraction of what they were making. So, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that they get these little tiny slap on the wrists, but (laughs) the amount of money they actually made is that's negligible. Unfortunately.
0: Well, it's no different in banking, right? Like, um, you know, yeah, good point. Like if if you look at commodities, for example, and I'm just going to talk about gold and silver because that's what I'm familiar with. Um, really large trading institutions have been slapped with fines for, manipulating those markets for decades and it's like normal business practice now you know they they cheat they they fuck around they get caught they get slapped with fines but you know they're making more in profits than they're getting fined otherwise they wouldn't keep doing it right somebody's making enough money for it to be justifiable in their mind
3: yeah no exactly hey uh, can i get in here ask a question real quick
0: yeah, of course good morning and welcome uh zero first time up here i think
3: i've uh, not been here before, I, uh so i just had a question um i don't know if you guys happen to read the article this morning uh on the wall street journal in regards to sbf uh wanting to get the uh derivatives market in you know into the you know you know the, the, you why know, you know the wider crypto market out uh, and it's just kind of um uh, you know it's more of a rant uh, It's just, i mean when when does this stop when does i mean it seems like they're trying to make SBF you know, the new Larry think, uh, and it's just, you know, these. When when does regulation come in here? Because derivatives is just gonna, it's just gonna kill the re- it's gonna kill the retail to a marketer. They're gonna get dumped on their head. Um, it's just, I mean, when, when when do we stop these traditional, you know, these these trad-fi games and and you know start marketing a new, you know, a new atmosphere, a new environment for this, you know, this this space that we're in now.
0: Can you be a little more specific like what are you saying is happening? What was the article?
3: So so SBF essentially wants he wants to put in um he wants the regulators to allow derivative market Did you say
4: SDF?
0: Sam
3: no, Sam, Bank- Sam
2: Bankman-Fried who's yeah.
4: talking Thank about? Thank
0: you. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Okay. Sam bankman Freed is looking to do what?
3: He wants the regulators to allow derivatives trading the the derivatives market into the crypto market. Uh, for you know trading derivatives for bitcoin um essentially just traditional you know traditional games uh traditional finance into this into this new industry market whatever how you wanna you know you wanna whatever you wanna call the landscape it's just when do well, like why are we propping up stand break you know s b f who's There's, we well'm just i we? so I'm, just, I'm just saying not saying we as in you know like in the bitcoin community
0: but i'm just saying as the in, as the industry and in whole. It just seemed to be is the industry property. is the industry as a whole my company is not doing it oh no no
3: no I'm just saying that but again he has he, this guy's powerful obviously he's a powerful voice he's a powerful figure into this space uh, that's what I'm that's all that's all I'm saying I'm saying essentially when like, all right, when so
0: do- let me say this first of all I would be I'd be careful about like you know categorizing and speaking for large portions of of any industry or whatever because it's not really how things work, how things, it may seem that way. It may feel that way. Um, but you got to take a step back and you got to just like realize that there are a lot of different human beings involved and in, in these things and everybody has different intentions and motives. Um, I wouldn't, I mean, just cause SB, SBF doesn't speak for me. I mean, I think the guy's a clown personally. So I don't agree with him. And I, and I think probably many, many other people don't agree with him. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't lose too much sleep over that. The second thing, and this is just an opinion, is, is that, you know, people don't like the idea of derivatives and financial alchemy, but the reality is, is that's probably going to happen on Bitcoin. Eventually, Bitcoin will be the base layer. It'll be the foundation, Hopefully. Because Bitcoin is honest money, the system will self-correct. What do I mean by that? Well, that's happening right now. You know, under normal economic cycles, if you have honest money, the system cleans itself out. The market figures out who who the clowns are, and it takes them out to the dumpster every now and then. And do people get hurt? Yeah. But I would argue... I mean, I don't, I don't like that people get hurt. I feel bad for people that get hurt. But at the same time, unfortunately, that's how human beings learn. You know, why do people participate in scams? Let's start there. Why, why do people get conned? The, they're susceptible to the con, right? Go ahead, D. What do you think? Why do people get conned?
2: Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, I think that uh, a lot of people promise things that they can't keep. So um, that's kind of how they reel them in. Um, Okay, but here's the thing.
0: Here's the thing. Is it the promiser or is the person falling for the con? That's the problem.
2: Yeah, I want to add, I think part of the times it's because of greed or, or, you know, and trying to get something, earn something really quick. So, I mean, that's only one aspect, but that's why some people get conned. Yeah, I guess, I guess, um, you know, it's definitely on the person that's investing, right? You know, that's getting yeah, on. But hundred percent,
0: that's where I'm going yeah. with this is, is that look, the problem with human beings today is because of mommy, daddy government protecting you and making all your decisions for you. People have lost the ability to identify something that's dangerous, right? If you put your hand on a hot stove and you burn yourself, what do you learn from that? Don't put your freaking hand on a hot stove, you dumbass.
2: That's, right? that's a great point. That's a great so point. if
0: the government is standing in the way going, I'm going to stand here in the way, you will never get near the hot stove. You don't know what the hot stove feels like. So you lose the ability of discernment. This is what This is like a plague on humanity right now. People have lost this ability of discernment to look at a situation and think for themselves, this seems a little sketchy. This seems a little shady. I don't think I'm going to do that. Have you read the prospectus? Do I need to read a prospectus? Yes, you dumbass. You should read the prospectus.
2: Yeah, and just to add to that, I think uh, Shane touched on a good point, right? It's, it's greed and, you know, maybe the risk, right? I mean, maybe a, a young in their young 20s trying to leverage trade or whatever doesn't know the risk at first. But just like that hot hot stove, you know, they get liquidated a few times and say, okay, um, maybe, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be playing with this leverage. But um, yeah, some people just see the risk. They're like, yeah, it's risky, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm greedy. Um, and then I think a lot of people get into that casino mind, right? And they, they just look at it from a, a risk and maybe quote unquote reward um, scenario. But I think it just affects a lot of people, right? You're, if you're trading shit coins or whatever, you're basically um, you know, gaining value by others suffering. So I, it's, it's a tricky situation.
0: Well, that's always existed and will always exist, right?
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I've learned to accept
0: so, that. Yeah. I, I think it's more important for people to learn to be critical thinkers. That's what for gets sure. us in trouble. Otherwise, yeah, you end call. up with idiocracy. Rondo. Because plants love electrolytes. Go ahead, Wicked.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just wanted to comment here. that I feel like I've lived both lives. You know, my earlier self... Um, who was, you know, working a pretty shitty paid job. I felt like I wasn't going to be able to save um, anything, right? Like the little amount that I could save, I just felt like it wasn't going to be enough to ever amount to anything. Obviously, I didn't quite understand Bitcoin in its entirety and and where, you know, we all believe it's going to go now. Um, But at that time, not knowing that, it felt like I had to gamble. Like it felt like I literally the only way I could make it out is if I just like hit it big. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I took that small amount and I learned how to like trade options and fucking make you know like hundred exit or whatever, right? So I got into that mindset. And I think I feel like it's really easy for um, people not making uh, a, a lot of cash flow, right? Positive cash flow to to get into the mindset of like there's no hope. Um, because you know if you just save it right if you're just putting uh you know you're you're stacking your pennies (laughs) that you're saving like those pennies won't amount to anything now where things changed for me is um when i kind of realized what bitcoin was and the potential of where it could be where it could be in the future then it felt like i could actually start saving right and like even with the lower paying job um, it felt like the small amount that I was saving like really mattered Uh, it it could actually be you know a a significant amount of savings at some point in the future when I when I decided you know like I'm ready to retire which I'm fairly young so like I have a while to save right Um, and that really changed you know my mindset on on working on saving um, and then ultimately, you know, on gambling, right? Like it was like, okay, I, I, now it, now it feels like what I'm gambling with is a lot of money, right? It's like, so that's a lot of Satoshis. So <laughs> I don't want to gamble anymore. Cause like, I'd rather just save those for a future where, you know, I believe they're going to actually worth a lot, a lot more. Um, yeah. And, and then I feel like once you get past that hump and you're like in the, in that mindset of like, okay, these are actually like, my savings are actually worth something, then you don't have to waste your time gambling. You don't have to waste your time like worrying about investing. You can just fucking work, you know, and like and and focus on your craft and then save. And ultimately, I mean, that tends to lead to opportunities and work, and then you can get higher cash flow. And then it's kind of just like a snowball effect. And I feel like for me, um, you know, the, the the thing that started it all was just getting a, a deeper understanding of Bitcoin and realizing that there is hope you know even for like a regular pleb not making much money right we can actually save it now
0: yeah savings is one of those disciplines that's really good for people but like i think you're right i think because of dishonest money because of fiat money and the effect of fiat money which inevitably means knuckleheads who want to create a whole ton more of it to spend on their pet projects ends up affecting the purchasing power of everybody's money, right? When you add more currency units to a system of currency, then that effect is, is that the value of the existing units goes down in purchasing power. The United States dollar has lost over 98% of its purchasing power since 1913, the creation of the Federal Reserve. And so what happens is that people subconsciously, whether they realize this or not, you don't even have to study economics to get it. Like subconsciously you realize the prices of things are running away from you. And the younger generations today see, see it running away so quickly that I think a lot of them have become kind of nihilistic and despondent about everything about life. Because there is no, you know, in America, these call it the American dream, right? There is no American dream for these guys. You know, you, are you really going to afford a $450,000 house on a $15 an hour income? Nope. So what do people do? I mean, the idea of even saving is just painful. And here's the trick. I mean, savings is like the key. It will change you. And it's just like Wicked said. I mean, we have this new form of money now where every dollar that you save In Bitcoin, you can buy right now about 5,000 Satoshis. Well, if we hit Satoshi dollar parity, that's the equivalent of like saving $5,000 for every dollar you save. Will it do that ever? I don't know. But Bitcoin is the first form of money that is designed intentionally as a deflationary system where each unit of, of the money will buy more over time. Good morning, Peter.
4: Good morning. Great conversation. Um, I, I think that the the American dream has been has been per- perverted and morphed. It's no longer owning a house. It's owning things. It's acquiring the latest fashion. It's acquiring you know the latest pair of shoes or whatever that is. And you know, since you know I'm older, and you know, as I um grew into adulthood uh in the 80s you know things were there was this there was this shift in in what you were trying everything becomes more immediate in the fiat system everything becomes um a now and and it's like this immediate gratification thing and exactly what you're talking about underlying that is this sense that if you don't spend now know what you have later on it's you're not going to be able to buy as much with it and you can really see the effect of this um, in countries that go through either significant inflation like we're going through currently um, or hyperinflation because they get they get money and they immediately spend it because the goods that they purchase the shoes or the plates um, you know, for the house or, or whatever it is they're purchasing is going to hold more, more value than the money itself.
1: Right. Like if you, like, uh, I think one of the the biggest examples is like, uh, Argentina, like you, you get your paycheck. (laughs) Um, and as you're passing, you know, as you're passing the market in the morning, you see the prices, you get paid in the afternoon and then you go back and, and the prices are like ten percent higher by the by the end of the day, you know, so it's like craziness like that that um like you literally have to spend it immediately uh because prices are just are just running running crazy I mean obviously <laughs> that's like an extreme scenario um but
4: but we're starting to see it now here because you know if you go into restaurants now, you can see they've taken a piece of paper and put it put it over the top of their of their menus on the walls to, to, for prices. And that's so that they can change those prices and those prices do change. And also even on um, um, sometimes in restaurants. Now you have a chalkboard for a menu where the prices are listed because they do change daily. We're, we're starting to actually see this in, in our um, in, in, in our environment in where we live, though it's not as significant as it is uh, in places that are you know uh, suffering from from hyperinflation, but it's it, it it is it is a slow process. What is it that you always say, Alex? It's the ratchet, the ratchet thing, and and so yeah, sometimes it gets effect. and it gets hidden. But but people are really starting to see it now.
1: I think well, it's it's slowly and then sudden. Sorry, go ahead. D.
4: No, no, no. Oh, sorry, no, it's all good. I was
2: just going to comment on the uh, the menu thing. I was at a, a restaurant the other day. And it had a sticker on the paper menu because they couldn't, you know, uh, afford to change the actual paper one. And it said, you know, prices may have a ten percent increase due to like supply demands and food food demand and stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So yeah, no, I I can definitely see that in, in my life as well. Sorry, go ahead, Wicked.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've seen that too. Everywhere I go has either new menus or or like you said, stickers of paper or whatever. But I was going to say. Um, I mean, this the hyperinflation thing. It, like, obviously, it's 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 triggered by something, right? Like, it's kind of initiated, and typically that tends to be you know kind of crazy money printing. But really, I think what what causes it to take off is um, the the psychology of uh, of the people who all of a sudden no longer believe in their currency, and once you start getting this snowball effect of people who um, you know, who, who kind of are starting to internalize the fact that their currency is dying. Um, then, uh, they, you know, they get rid of it as quickly as possible. So they get their paycheck and they literally go out and spend it the next uh hour, you know, like they like, and then that velocity of money just yeah. expedites the, the inflation and causes the hyperinflation. So
0: it's a self reinforcing effect, right? Because no. the velocity of money increases the, uh, the, the, There's a feedback loop and it causes the prices to actually increase as well. And then people are like, oh, the prices are going up and then the behavior is reinforced and on and on until you have a collapse of the currency.
4: And and the, the first signs of that behavior are the immediate gratification consumer.
0: It's weird, you know, I've studied all of these all of these uh, currencies throughout history that have gone through this process, and it's it <clears throat> it's always been in the back of my mind that it could happen in the Western world, but I didn't think I'd see it in my lifetime. Now, I don't know whether we're gonna have hyperinflation in the United States dollar or not, but just the fact that people are more and more and more aware of it, uh, more aware, that inflation is eating away their purchasing power actually increases the chances of it. Go ahead, Wicked. Yeah. I mean, uh, in my mind,
1: um, and you know, my mind tends to be a little hyperbolic and, and, and I think it's, it's been, you know, it's been a, 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 breath of fresh air kind of getting these, these drawdowns. Cause it's brought me back to earth a little bit, just in terms of the timing of how <laughs> I think all these things could play out. But at the same time, like these things happen quickly, right? It's, it's, um, it feels like it's taking a long time in the moment you're like oh man why aren't we getting hyper bitcoinization it's been 13 years like what's going on what why isn't this thing taken off why don't people understand it and so it feels like it's taking a long time while you're in it Uh, especially if you kind of learned about it early on like everyone everyone here right we all we all been learning about bitcoin and we're literally like the the first one to two percent of people who understand it um but it's that that slowly and then suddenly thing where it's like you're in it, you're you're wondering why it's taking so long, and then all of a sudden it just snaps, and everyone starts to get it, and everyone starts to realize that like their currency sucks, <laughs> and like and they don't want that currency anymore, and then at that point, that's when it gets like to these this, this crazy um, kind of like surreal moment in time where I think um, especially with with on-ramps being built out and it's being so easy to transfer one currency into Bitcoin, um, I think things might just get real crazy. Um, And I mean, we're seeing what's happening now with Bitcoin already being pulled off exchanges at record levels. I mean, just imagine what starts to happen when, you know, 10% of the population is stacking regularly and pulling their Bitcoin off exchanges And we've gone through another halving, so we're only getting four fifty new ones a day. I mean, it just keeps getting crazier and crazier, honestly. Until you know, and until it just eats everything, in my opinion, Um, because it's just so much. It's so it's so clearly such a better money, right? Such a better uh, unit of account, and then it's becoming slowly but surely a better medium of exchange as well, with other layers built on top. So I don't know. I think it's all just kind of culminating into this like it's gonna be a giant crescendo I still kind of believe that um, and it could happen quickly so I worry a little bit just about yeah. how quickly it could all happen you know like I feel it freaks me out a little bit when I think
0: about it um, so you know, I'm just trying to get all my ducks in an order for that moment I want to I want to shout out to Mackenzie sagalos in the audience you were saying about how like it's just better money. I was watching this uh, video and she's in it and she's sending money via Moon Wallet um, to somebody on the other side of the planet. I, I, I want to say in either Poland or Ukraine, maybe. And then that person goes, takes, takes their Moon Wallet, takes their Bitcoin, which by the way, arrives instantly. Um, and then goes to an, a Bitcoin ATM. And exchanges it for, for fiat currency. And the look on the faces of the people doing this both McKenzie and this gal on the other side of the planet is priceless because they're like holy crap that just happened and it's it's pretty amazing I think Peter
4: was next yeah I just want to add one other uh, anecdote uh, to the um, to this inflation that we're experiencing thing that I think everybody probably everybody in this room probably does the exact same thing that I do so two days ago, I passed by the gas station and I saw gas was five twenty nine a gallon, and I thought, "Geez, I better stop and fill up because you know I don't want this price to increase on me. I'd like to get the best price I can." Two days later, the the, the price came down. It was four dollars and ninety nine cents, and guess what? I did the exact same thing. I better stop and fill up because. I don't want this price to change and go back up on me. I'm going to get it while it's low. I mean, it's just this mentality, this psychology surrounding these, these massive price swings that we see um, in the marketplace for our everyday commodities is um, it's insidious and, and it's this, this, it just builds on itself until it becomes like normal. For for us to to do things like that, and I, I'd be willing to bet everybody in this room does the same thing when they pass by a gas station if they're drivers.
1: Yeah, my tank hasn't been past like three quarters empty, you know, for the past I don't know, four or five months. Right, like as soon as it gets a little bit empty, I'm just like, I'll fill it up before it gets. You, to,
0: <laughs> you, you know what I've noticed a, a change in my own behavior. I was in Costco the other day, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm gonna buy all the coffee, all of it. I'm just, I'm, I'm hoarding caught. Co- I'm just, I'm <laughs> stacking sacks is looking at me. Like we've already got all this guy. I'm like, yeah, but, but. <laughs>
4: and, and this is the, and this is the, this behavior is cured by sound money and, and wicked. You're absolutely correct. This med- the medium of exchange alone, much less the unit of account, the media, it is so easy to transfer value with Bitcoin, even on-chain, it's, rel- it's, it's It's a heck of a lot easier on-chain than it is with any other medium of exchange that I've experienced. And I have total and complete control of it. It's uncensorable. They can't stop me. It's outside of the system. There are so many damn benefits uh, with, with just the medium of exchange and, and the mechanics of it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I'll tell you a quick story. So <clears throat> earlier this week, I was talking to a gentleman who is is Venezuelan. He's from Venezuela, but he moved to America, and now he's an American citizen. He's built big businesses, very, very wealthy guy, is used to, um, you know, Of the Swiss banking experience where he's kind of doted on and all the other kind of stuff, but get this, they're charging him 2% of his AUM for wealth management. And they're starting to get to the point where they don't let him send his money wherever he wants to send it, wherever he, whenever he wants to send it. So on top of the insult that in 50 years, they take half your stack because they're charging you 2% on your AUM. Now, they won't let him send his money where he wants to send it. And uh, this idea that he can send Bitcoin anywhere in the world instantly at the speed of light at almost zero cost, I could just see it on his face. He was like, oh, wow. This guy's probably going to end up buying eight figures worth of Bitcoin. And um, there's an army of these people coming into the pipeline right now
4: what a great time to buy eight figures of fucking bitcoin god
2: yeah it must be nice (laughs) server jim hey good
5: morning everybody Uh, um so i'm listening to you guys discuss this and i'm thinking about the large picture of all the people out there either don't know about Bitcoin at all, which there's lots of those, and the ones that have heard about it that don't take it seriously, they hear about various qualities or characteristics that Bitcoin might possess. But without doing the homework, it's hard for them to know, and so most people pass it by. Um, And when people do pay attention, I think their first impression or their first perspective is this is an investment. This is something I'm going to take my dollars in, and hopefully that grows not thinking they're buying into the future monetary network of the world and they need to get as many units into that network as possible. That is, people do not see this as their future money. Uh, And they, they also don't consider that as their future money, they don't want to use it until way into the future. That is, as adoption grows, the exchange rate for any piece of these these bitcoin any smaller unit is likely to increase in, in its ability to get you things the idea being that money is simply a tool it's in between every single trade most people are looking at this bitcoin as an investment it's not they don't think of it as a I tool in of every
6: trade
0: what part? i don't agree with okay that. i don't think that's true like i talked about to well the part about most people think of it as an investment i don't i don't agree with that Oh, um, I
5: would say I, the larger world out there that's not talking about Bitcoin like we do doesn't grasp. I mean, look at all the shit coins and all these other people that just trade. They trade Bitcoin to make fiat gains. Yeah, also, that's
0: that's fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking Jim, about I'm talking about people who either. are buying. I'm talking about people who are buying Bitcoin. I think well, the perspective of people who are buying Bitcoin is 100 percent dependent upon who taught them about Bitcoin.
3: Absolutely,
5: I, I totally agree. Because again, some people are buying this Bitcoin thinking they're going to, you know, sell it someday for profits, not believing that they will use it to buy goods and services. Literally, that's where the economy has to get to. Bitcoin needs to be used by everybody as money, not as an investment. Now, that doesn't but, mean, but, but
4: Surfer can... Jim, Surfer Jim, yeah. when you first got into Bitcoin, or just before you first got into Bitcoin, I can only talk from my own experience. I had no conception of what it meant to buy into a monetary network. I had no conception of what it meant to buy into any kind of underlying um uh asset that was that was the the base layer of anything because it's just not in our experience. How do I buy into the US dollar? It just makes no sense, right? Well, so, that's Perfect to your point,
5: because this has never occurred. This is what makes um, the educational process so difficult. People have never had the opportunity to buy into a brand new monetary network that may grow into the world reserve currency. So we're seeing a unique opportunity in society that's never, ever been here. And we're trying to educate people about why it's so important. And it's very hard. Everybody's entrenched in the old system. And again, they're looking at agree this thing with
0: essentially. That. You keep what do using this terminology like everybody. I don't agree with that. All I right, just don't sorry. Agree with not everybody but, like,
4: everybody. but you know well, the, the other it thing
0: depends. It depends.
4: It and, all depends. And, and there's an easy way to start that conversation. And all you have to do is ask somebody to tell you what they think money is. And you just go from there, because sure. they're not going to be uh, able to give you the answer. You, you no, I, need so, to, Alex, yeah, just, just to be to fair,
5: I say the words everybody, and of course that's not entirely true. I still believe that most of the population doesn't understand Bitcoin well enough, and so they're in the category of everybody to me. And there's but, a, but there's sir, a great Jim, area. But for Jim, yeah,
4: the, they sure. don't understand money. You don't have to say no, don't agree. understand Bitcoin. They don't understand the money they're already yeah. using.
5: Absolutely. And and this is part of the narrative. They don't understand the money they're using. They don't understand how a brand new monetary network just showed up on the planet and you know that they what, should though? own some of it.
0: Here's here's the thing. Rewind if you rewind the clock, uh, let's call it fifteen years, right? When I when I was working in the gold industry, gold bugs know about honest dishonest money. They know about monetary systems, they know about that stuff. And Back in the day, nobody was talking about this. Nobody was talking about this. If you were a gold bug and you're like, the money's broken, you're out there, you're a lone wolf in the wilderness crying out in the night, and no one is listening. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody gives a crap. And back in 2017, let me finish, please. Sure,
5: sure. Sorry.
0: Back in 2017, I was thinking to myself, man, the one thing Bitcoin might do is start a conversation with everybody about what is money and boom, here we are today. That is exactly what's happening. People are discussing it. Bitcoiners are pumping out pure signal constantly to anyone who will listen. If you look around at how powerful that is, there's no other grassroots organization of any idea, any concept, any ideology, any hobby, any interest, where you have as many passionate people who are pumping out pure signal. So it's like, sure. I mean, statistically speaking, you're absolutely correct, Jim. How many people use Bitcoin today? Very few. There's seven and a half billion people on the planet. So is there a lot of education to go? Yeah. But show me anything, show me one other subject knitting clubs,
4: poker groups. <laughs>
0: canoeing groups you show me one other subject of human interest where there are as many fired up committed i will die on this hill motherfucker guys out there (laughs) pumping out signals show me one i agree no listen
5: alex you're right it doesn't exist but again what that going back to your example with gold bugs 15 years ago or whatnot there was no push to create a new monetary system around gold. We already had that. It got taken away, and no one could see a way to yeah, re- there was, figure there it. Yeah,
0: there was always a push. The gold bugs well, never well, gave up on that. They I never agree. gave up on that. The difference was nobody cared. Nobody wanted was, to talk about it. Yeah,
5: but you won't but think happening about
0: it. And what's happening now is people are talking about it.
5: Yes, but think about it. Back then, there was no ability to create a network like Bitcoin where – the asset, the gold in that case, or the bitcoin in this case, was unconfiscatable. Was uh, you know you couldn't yeah, steal well, it from people. You're right. Third we're, parties. We're talking,
0: we're talking right. past each other. The reason nobody was interested in it because it wasn't really possible. Gold bugs. Well, there you go. That, that, that gold bugs kind were clinging to that idea because yeah. it was the only thing. Okay, I'll tell you my personal. Absolutely. Story. No, I agree. It, because it was the only form of honest money that we could see. Yes, we didn't know about Bitcoin. I, I that
5: totally way. agree. Absolutely. Once I figured and out
0: what Bitcoin was, I switched. Why? Because it works.
5: Myself is included. I got in it for number go up technology. Then I realized how critical it was as a as a world money. And so you know, my whole perspective changed. But I had to learn about money again. Uh, one of the gentlemen said something about you know nobody knows about money. Well, that's still true. And because Bitcoin is here, literally, Alex, exactly what you said, because Bitcoin is here, because the world now has this possibility to adopt a free and fair monetary system. The world's never seen this before like this, where, bam, there it is. And people can look at it and immediately start using it. Gold took, you know, a century, a couple centuries to get adopted across the world. But then again, we didn't have the Internet to talk around the world. So we have this brand new thing. It reinvigorates the, the discussion around money. And it's completely having to educate millions and millions of people all over the world slowly that, that to pay attention to this thing. So, you know, just getting back to my original point was the education that this is a future money that people need to get as many units as possible, not an investment, I think, is one of the key things. And I think we're on that track because the discussion is literally there again. It's in the public sphere. It wasn't. And now it is because Bitcoin exists. And so now we're on this journey to educate everybody about money and about Bitcoin as money and why they need it, because it's the best money and it's the fairest money. So I do see everything that's been discussed is all relevant. I honestly want to I feel like right now the largest obstacle is literally the education in the minds of every individual. They have to get over that hump and then they'll buy some like we've all done. At least I think that's one of the most important things.
0: Thank yeah, you. for sure. And we all acknowledge that that's the, I mean, if, if you're fairly new to hanging out in this space, if, I mean, that's the whole purpose of this space is why we do it. That's what we call get on the mission. The entire purpose is to educate people. We've been doing it every single day for nine months straight. We're going let's hit um, announcements real quick and then we'll go with wicked. Good morning and welcome. You're listening to cafe Bitcoin. If you've never been here before, we talk about Bitcoin. We do this as a live show on Twitter spaces every day. Monday through Friday, we start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for two hours. A great place to learn about Bitcoin, get your morning news on what's going on. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin. If you can't catch the live show, it is also a podcast up on Spotify and Apple. You can throw myself or Swan Bitcoin a follow to be notified of when those drop. Some cool things that Swan does, by the way, that I, uh, the company that I work for, uh, Bitcoin Benefit Plan. If you're an employer, you want to give Bitcoin to your employees, you can do that. Uh, talk to us about it. We, we're happy to help you. Um, we have an app out now, the Swan app, swanbitcoin.com slash app. If you want to join the Telegram group specifically for the app, shoot me a DM and uh, I'll give you the link to that Telegram group. Uh, if you are backwards on your U.S. dollar denominated ta- uh, position in your Bitcoin, you can do what's called tax loss harvesting. Uh, basically what you do is you sell and you rebuy. You can claim a capital loss if you're way backwards on your cost basis if you want to know more about that we're doing it for our swan private clients if you're not a swan private client you should probably be one shoot me a dm happy to help you with that let's keep rolling we're going to be in the in the second hour here we're going to be rolling into uh swan private macro friday we're going to have the Swan uh private team up here uh speaking of which we've got steven lubka on the stage he's the head of swan private good morning brother
7: Hey, what's up, Alex? What's up, everybody? Happy to be here. Love these Friday
6: chats.
0: Uh, and as well, uh, uh, we're going to have other members of the team up as well. That's going to be pretty cool. Like doing those. Um, why don't we go with Wicked and then Puppy?
1: Yeah. So just going back, I just wanted to comment real quick on what you guys were talking about. I mean, I think I think Surfer Jim has a point, and, and really, what he was trying to say is that the vast majority of people, you know, 99.9% of people don't really understand money, don't really understand Bitcoin, Um, you know, and even the people who have Bitcoin of those (laughs) shit, maybe like 99% don't really know what they have, right? Like they just, they just bought some because they heard about it on Fox or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So like, I think the education part is important, um, but you also have to realize uh, that the vast majority of people who get into Bitcoin, right? I mean, eventually everyone will have bitcoin i mean it'll be the only money that will be used in my opinion so like eventually everyone will have bitcoin but the vast majority of people who get in at the end will not understand it they'll just get in out of survival you know what i'm saying like it, they'll get in because they'll see that oh the gas station only accepts bitcoin now well i need bitcoin now you know like that that will be it um and they'll 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 ape in um If they can at that point, I mean, very likely they won't even be able to at that point. They'll just have to work for it. But like they'll get some at that point out of um, out of necessity, out of survival. Um, And they may never understand it in the end uh, just because it'll just be their money at that point. The same way that like the vast majority, 99.99% of people don't understand the money they use now. They don't understand fiat. Uh, They don't understand, um, you know, how that works, how that system works. They just are born into it and they just use it. Uh, It'll be the same for Bitcoin, in my opinion. Yeah, Yeah,
8: guys. good Good morning. Good morning to everybody. Yeah. You know what? That's a little bear markets, man. I'll tell you what. We violently agree all the time. We just violently agree. We come from different angles. We get so bored that we're, we're battling each other over even the the, the connotation or denotation uh, of different words. Um, I understand where Surfer Jim was coming from. Hey, when what we're do you mean by about... "we"?
1: What do you mean by "we"?
8: <laughs> 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 you guys are all fat. Hey man, we're all family. I got man. triggered
0: by "we" twice today.
8: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> listen. Well, yeah. Look, brothers and sisters fight, but if anyone messes with any one of you guys, you know, everyone's got your back. Uh, yeah, look. As an investment, quote unquote, I think that was the dirty word, Surfer Jim. used. love you, Surfer Jim. No, it, honestly, it when you're looking around, when you're on the outside, and uh, imagine this generation, the Robin Hood generation, as it were, man, where to, they got no money? Prices are going up, and so they've been relegated to using Robin Hood and quick gains and just find, trying to find some sort of return. And there there's a lot that came to Bitcoin originally because. Damn, look at this thing. It was $0. This thing went from $0, 5 cents $0.10. Cents, and then when it was getting 10000 15 20 it was an investment. It was number go up. But there were a lot. Once you realize it's so much more than that. Once you get in there and go down the rabbit hole, you realize it. You realize it's so much more than that. I understand what you both are talking about. Um, the majority of the world right now is waking up to the fact that, guess what, um, the, the WEF is coming for you. All right. You will eat Z bugs. They will put out CBDCs. They will freeze your funds if you don't do what they'd like. They're starting to see, is there an alternative? And I'm seeing that every day with people I talk to. Wait, you mean Bitcoin can't be confiscated? Well, not if you control your private keys, it can't. So the message is getting out there. Number goes up. We'll bring people in. But man, love you guys.
0: Love you too, Bobby. Get on the mission. Get On the mission, I ain't gonna, li- I ain't living in the pods and I ain't eating the bugs. Get on the mission, let's go. Uh, we're gonna rearrange the stage a little bit probably as we continue to bring the swan private guys up. If we remove you, it's not personal. We love all of you guys. I want to welcome like, Guy Gomez. Guy Gomez is the chief revenue officer of Swan Bitcoin, came over to us from um Bridgewater Capital, a little tiny little hedge fund. Some of you guys may have heard of before. Good morning, Guy.
9: What's up, Alex? Nice to be here.
0: It's great to have you. I love uh, when you come in. We don't get you super often, but when you do, I I love it because I think uh, you're a pretty smart guy and you have a lot of insight to share.
9: Yeah, it's on me. I need to get here more often. I love these conversations. Uh, But as you know, we're building a lot of stuff. There's a lot of cool stuff happening with Swan, so life gets busy.
7: We know it, man. We know it. So uh my my personal mission is like Alex said, Gee is a brilliant guy. Joined us from Bridgewater as an exec at Swan. 121 Twitter followers. Wow. Criminally underfollowed. I'm just saying, you guys might want to fix that.
0: Criminally underfollowed. Everybody throw gee gum as a follow. Get on the mission. Let's go. Uh also want to welcome up John Har. Good morning, John.
10: Good morning, Alex. Good morning, everyone. And, um, yeah, I think I suffer from the same issue that Guy does with, uh, coming from traditional finance. We typically, unless you're like, you know, a big, uh, media presence person. Um, a lot of people from traditional finance don't have a big Twitter, uh, game. Um, so I, I suffer from the same thing, but, um, I'm getting more involved on Twitter and interacting with more people. Um, and I, I look forward to continuing to do that.
0: Excellent. You know what to do, people. Uh, Gabor Gerbats is out in the audience. I'm throwing you an invite to come up. We're going to be discussing macro in general. So, Gabor, I'm sure you have some good insights. If you want to join the conversation, you're welcome to. If you can't, I, of course, also understand lots of times people will come in, listen to the show. They can't really talk, but they're just listening to what's going on. So that's cool.
7: Awesome! Awesome. So, uh, to kick things off, why don't we? I want to throw out an interesting topic for discussion, and this is something me and John were talking about the other day. Uh, It's a little, little, little diverges from macro, but I think it's related. I think you guys will like it. So, it's a question of systems, right? And so, when we are looking at, so something we're facing a lot in Bitcoin is. The monetary system and so we, we we live in a society that uses this one monetary system fiat and we've got this other monetary system Bitcoin that obviously we all support or you wouldn't be in this room um, and there's this kind of discussion and trade-off between um, do systems get reformed or do they get replaced and you know what I mean to say is how how common is it that A society, a government, a monetary system, a political establishment, when it is in decline, actually fixes its problems, addresses the issues and reforms the system in its current capacity, as opposed to gets replaced by a a revolution, whether that is, you know, a violent revolution or a peaceful revolution or a transition. And so we were talking about this, you know, in, in, in the context of the question of like, can they curtail the printing? Can, can the Fed, can the government, can they kind of normalize things? Can they try to get the ship, you know, get the train back on track? And, um, you know, for me, my answer to that was, you know, when you look at history, you look at all the reserve currencies, you look at all the leading powers, you look at all the, you know, financial systems. I, I, I can't really think of any examples where there really was a reform. It seems like almost always, you know, dysfunctional systems only stop when they are replaced by something new. And I think that's an interesting, I think, topic for discussion, you know, just with what we are
1: you know, aiming for with Bitcoin i'll I'll jump in here real quick um and I, I you know i'm i'm not a super macro guy, but this my my basic thought would just be it seems like the direction we're heading is um uh well first of all you know as is it that says that you can't taper a Ponzi so like they <laughs> i think they literally can't reform it in in its current form if that makes sense um but it's pretty clear that they're they're thinking about like c b d so whether or not you consider that to be a reform um reformation of of, you know the current system i don't know um but yeah i mean i think it's going to ultimately be cbdc's versus you know freedom money uh which obviously is bitcoin and we'll see how that all plays out
10: yeah i'll just i'll just build on that a little bit um i think it's a really interesting uh comment that that steven brought up here Um, This idea that systems are more they more often end um, via collapse, revolution, replacement, whatever you want to call it, rather than orderly reforms back to the way they previously operated. Um, And I think it's just extremely evident in monetary systems in particular. So one example of this would be in the 1930s, um, you had basically U.S. irresponsible policies leading to gold flowing out of the U.S., to foreigners because the foreigners wanted the gold rather than the dollars FDR and Congress at the time, they devalue the dollar from around $20 an ounce in gold to $35 an ounce. And they make it illegal for people to own gold. I think this kind of proves Steven's point that it's more common for things to essentially go too far and then some sort of drastic action needs to be taken. Um, And then another example would be what we're all familiar with 1971. Nixon going off the gold standard, Um, the U.S. is spending too much money. Other countries are demanding their gold. Um, You know, the the reverse of Stephen's point would be uh, if the U.S. says, OK, we've been spending like crazy. Let's dial it back and be more conservative, more responsible so that the U.S. dollar can remain as good as gold once again. Um, That, of course, didn't happen. Um, Instead, they break the convertibility from gold to the dollar entirely. Um, and I think everyone knows this, but Nixon actually announced it as a temporary closing of, of the gold convertibi- convertibility window, um, which is hilarious because it's still closed to this day. Um, but but now you fast forward to the present day example would be Fed balance sheets. And just a quick flashback to 2010, um, like we've already seen this, this, these trends play out with Fed balance sheets. So in 2010, Ben Bernanke said the Fed balance sheet would get back under one trillion. So this is obviously just after the first time that the Fed is engaging in QE, and people are asking him, you know, is this temporary? Do we go back to what the Fed balance sheet was previously? And he says, yes. He says, we're going to get back under $1 trillion. Um, That, of course, never happened. Um, And then I'm sure everyone has seen the recent clip of Christine Lagarde, where she very uncomfortably claims that the ECB's balance sheet will come down in due course. Um, But history would suggest that this won't happen. Uh, rather, it's far more likely that they, they push the limits, they find new reasons why it's OK for the balance sheet to, to continually expand. Um, and then this final comment, um, you know, why is this relevant? Today, for the last six months, we've been in this period where the Fed is telling us um, they're going to shrink their balance sheet. Um, asset prices are contracting. We're in this monetary contraction contraction period. Um, You could argue that the Fed is acting more responsible, although it feels a little weird to even use that word in this context. But but I think the broader point is that it's more likely that they push the limits of what they've been doing for the last 15 years rather than come back to uh, a more responsible and sustainable policy.
7: And let me, I'm going to add one thing, and then Gabor, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for coming up. Um, I think just to add on to that, People will use the example of uh, Volcker, you know, as kind of this paragon, this this peak example of uh, the Fed kind of curtailing excess and being, quote unquote, responsible. But I think under this kind of framework, the thing about Volcker is he was part of a replacement right? He was not a reform. He was not there to reform that he was in power and he was brought in or or was in during a time where we had switched to a new system and he had to stabilize that new system. It's very, very, I think that's a very important distinction between somebody, you know, let's say, let's say they brought in Volcker today to try to reform the current system. It's a very different environment. And I think that just as a kind of an added point for one of the well-known examples. And uh, Gabor, I'd love to hear your thoughts.
11: Yeah, totally. It, it actually, um, maybe I, I might be the minority here on um, on this idea that systems have to fail and completely be replaced in order to turn over a regime or change the sort of like the markets. I think like gold is actually an, an interesting and good example Um so gold today is an uh, eleven trillion dollar asset, uh, and uh, that was um, probably around two hundred billion dollars around the time in the early nineteen seventies when um, it was uh, the peg from thirty five per ounce was done away with. And and the today gold actually, I you know I would argue that has succeeded in some ways to become a store of value for central banks. Central banks themselves use gold to hedge against themselves, which is. Hilarious, and so I think like my my dad used to tell me um, that uh, the rule number one if you want to win is stay uh, long enough in the game to be able to win. So don't strike out. And I think it's true. So for Bitcoin too. So Bitcoin doesn't need to turn over the fiat system in order to be successful. I think Bitcoin needs to get accepted as a store of value. Um, you know, by a large amount of individuals and then institutions. Uh, you know primarily countries and central banks, uh, so that it can establish itself as, as, as some sort of uh, store of value and so that not everyone is fighting against it all the time. So Bitcoin needs to survive and coexist with the system until it, estab- until it cannot be killed, really. <laughs> and then it can get adoption. So for now, I, I, what is Bitcoin's market cap today? Like maybe, I don't know, let's just call it uh, 500 billion uh, uh, I think it's probably lower, but uh, gold is 11 trillion. There's a lot more, um, kind of un- a lot more time and-, and adoption that's needed to to get to sort of a level where where gold uh, where Bitcoin is used and and gets more adopted. So again, uh, the fiat system is not working. Central banks managing our money terribly. Inflation in some countries are double and triple digits, which is crazy. It's literally stealing from people. Bitcoin being an alternative that's accessible in a censorship resistant way and it's surviving gives an option for people to peacefully opt out. And I think for Bitcoin to succeed, it doesn't have to, uh, you know, overthrow the fiat system completely, just needs to survive and uh, get adopted broadly. So that's my, I mean, that's sort of what I'm working on for a long time is to, Know, get some institutions to at least like buy it in an etf form an etp form get some central banks to add it to their balance sheets i think central banks will have no choice but to add bitcoin to their balance sheet however small that allocation will be some will start doing it just to hedge against themselves and um i mean we're seeing uh that a little bit from russia they are uh, experimenting with new exchanges i wouldn't be surprised if uh if they would start adding uh, some coin to their uh, uh, to their balance sheets, and that you know that includes uh, smaller countries are talk, talking about it, like the Visegrad four countries uh, that I know of, and uh, so I think that again, my my point is, uh, Bitcoin and for Bitcoin to succeed, it does not have to overthrow the fiat system immediately. It can, for decades, coexist and get further adoption and remain an option for people to opt out. And so I think that's more likely than. Uh, in trying
4: the fiat system, one hundred percent.
7: One hundred percent. I I I totally agree with you, um, and I think that is that is the, by far and away the most likely pathway is Bitcoin and fiat coexisting for for you know a long period of time, um, and and so I mean that's and and that's what lets it survive, right? Like Bitcoin has to get big enough, it has to be entrenched enough, it has to be so, so widespread that uh, I think it just gives it a tremendous power in any sort of head-on conflict. So I I deeply agree with that view.
12: Can I just jump in maybe add a tiny bit of color to what you've been saying? I think it's interesting to talk about how systems fail. It's also important to focus on how they come to be and how they rise. And P- I, earlier, before you guys had joined, I think someone was speculating as to how long it took gold to rise to become widely accepted as the global money of the world before it ended up getting replaced. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting to think about the rise then of Bitcoin. And, and that's what we're witnessing here, which is it's, it's the slow and steady wins the race thing, and it's rising through a form not just of Um, people saying, well, everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to do it. It's actually rising through this point of conviction and understanding. And I don't think we've ever had money before that people understood what money was and why something is money. And if this sustains and spreads (laughs) and passes on for generations, it also then implies that the system will be far harder to collapse or far less likely to collapse. Because the (laughs) the reason gold collapsed was because people stopped really understanding what money was and what its scarcity was. And we had this kind of very strange thing where one day Nixon appears on television and temporarily announces the suspension of gold, and Fiat is here. And it's like the old system failed and a brand new system was replace, replaced it. Nobody was exp- nobody really understood that the old system failed and the new system was re- uh, came in to replace it. And nobody understood how the new system worked, including the people who implemented it. And that's why we had such economic disruption in the early seventies. Um, and we're witnessing kind of the second wave of it now. So I'm I'm starting to ramble a little bit, but I, I have this I have this view that Bitcoin is Very, very hard to collapse because it's so incorruptible and everyone has a veto on it and and people understand it. It's complicated, but people are coming into it understanding it much more so than any other monetary system that ever existed.
0: For sure. In regards to gold, I want to make one quick comment and then we're going to go with Guy. And that is I think it's super important for people to be very specific about this. The gold system, the gold-backed system did not collapse. It was specifically removed. Removed by Hugh, who, a human being, and that is critical, critically important to understand, that is the greatest failure of gold is money. Is it subject to the wickedness of man? If one dude can go on television and say, We're removing the backing of the US dollar convertibility into gold, it is subject to the control. Only temporarily. Only yeah, of course, (laughs) he said only temporarily, which which ended up not being temporary. But it's super super important to understand that because that cannot happen in Bitcoin. Go ahead. Can I just
11: yeah? I'm sorry. Uh, Just on on gold, super quickly. I I think like you know, Vanek actually has built the first gold mutual fund in the 60s, and this was before um, the uh, um, before 1971, and and so the gold did not fail as a store of value. Um, and central banks still use it as a hedge. It failed as money. And I think uh, if Bitcoin, quote unquote, failed as money to be a 10 plus trillion dollar asset, that would be a good start because it still had a chance to become money. And, and I think like this, that, that is super important that gold failed as money, but it did not fail a store of value to the extent that central banks are literally using gold to hedge against themselves. And I think that is the evolutionary process that Bitcoin has to go through. That that is my just my prediction, and I could be wrong. But if it gets adopted um, in in central banks, uh, then uh, then it has a chance to overthrow them uh, from the inside. But uh, anyway, so th- th- I just wanted to add that. I'm sorry, Gee, uh, for uh, interrupting. Uh, this, uh, so. no, let me just myself.
7: No, just real just real quick, and then I want to let you go, Gee. Um, I just want to throw out a definition because I I think there's a little back and forth on this point. A system can both be replaced and still exist and still be functional. And I'll just give the example of like the United Kingdom, right? Like Britain was replaced as the reserve currency. The pound was replaced and Britain was replaced as the dominant world power. But the UK is still a functional country. People still, they have a robust economy. They have lots of wealth there. So th- there's a difference between something being replaced with something else instead of being reformed and it like dying or collapsing or totally disappearing or having no use.
9: All right, let me jump in here a little bit. Just to build on what Tomer was saying, because I think it's spot on. I think the strength, of Bitcoin is that it's rule-based. So you know what to expect. While the current system keeps changing on us, so it's pretty hard for you to predict your life and just try to accumulate wealth and know how things are going. So if you step back a little bit, yes, first it was backed by gold, then it was not. Then the main driver of the economy was interest rates. Then they drove it to zero. Then suddenly it was QE. Now they're printing money as crazy and that's not working anymore. Then they go to what they're doing right now, which is essentially printing money and putting the money into the hands of people with uh, monetary policy. And that's now having problems. So the system keeps changing the rules and you're trying to live your life and accumulate wealth. And it's pretty hard to do so. So if you're thinking about how something else comes up is something that works better that is rule-based that you know ought to expect that you know how the blocks work and through time through education and takes time as well and I think what Wicked was saying is spot on as well most people will join the system of Bitcoin at some point maybe years or decades from now without even understanding how it works but that will be the current system in place Uh, But between now and then, through education and conviction and people getting into the space and understanding how the current system works and how it's pretty hard to live your life in a system that keeps changing on you with a small group of people in control uh, and you don't have much of a say, suddenly you see the beauty of something else. And that's where new systems come up and replace current systems. And probably there's some kind of uh, disruption in the middle, uh, and they start to see conflict. So it's a quite amazing place to be, to be honest. And if you're in this room, you're pretty early, and you're following something that is no one has seen before in our lifetime, right? So it would be unique to be watching it. And it's a pleasure to be here with all of you talking about this and seeing it day by day.
0: Exciting times we're living in for absolute certain. I'm honored to be here with all of you guys. Like we have some of the smartest people in the community here today. Good glad you could stop in. Very cool of you. Um, we've got Sam Callahan that just came up here this morning. Good morning, Sam. How are you doing?
13: Good morning. I'm just uh catching the end of this, but I find it really interesting. I um I think what Guy just said was really important because when a new system arises like Bitcoin, the key point there I think is that it's voluntary to opt into and the rules are transparent. Where if you think about Bretton Woods, like people people think when Bretton Woods was formed that it immediately just went into effect, like after, you know, whatever, nineteen ninety four or nineteen forty-four. But it actually took about 10 to 15 years for all these countries to start adhering to the peg, the uh, and then the dollar was pegged to gold at 35. But these countries wouldn't agree to these rules because they were trying to rebuild the World War II. And so they wouldn't agree to the peg. And the IMF had to go and pull teeth for like 10 to 15 years for them to finally get onto it. And then it broke down, like almost immediately, like 10 to 15 years after it started in 1960, uh, the gold pegs started to fall and they started to rush and try to fix it. And then, of course, in 1971, it defaulted. So you have this, these rules that are being forced on people and then the system falls apart and that creates a bunch of instability in the global economy, where if you contrast that to Bitcoin, the rules are transparent and people can opt into it and it's voluntary. And I think that just forms a very stable system to start to build you know, an economy off of. And I just think that's a really important point.
12: You know, so, I just, um, sorry. No, go ahead, Tom. I, I just uh, shared shared in the Nest a link to the short film that I uh, was involved in making called Bitcoin's Generational Wealth. Because when, when I heard Guy uh, speaking before um, about the, he was basically talking about so, so many of the things that I was thinking about when we were writing that film. And uh, and so I encourage people to take the 15 minutes to watch it when it's done. But one of the things it ends with when it talks about the future is how important it is uh, for people to teach their children about the decentralization of Bitcoin. Uh, and I was trying to compress a lot into a single sentence, but Bitcoin survives and it survives as sound money for everyone in the world, as long as no one person, which is Alex's point, can suddenly decree it to not be the money anymore. And uh, and so ultimately it comes down to the decentralization of the system. And so I would say if you've got some and you're planning on leaving a legacy with it, make sure that um, you don't just leave the money, but you also leave the knowledge that it needs to be decentralized and all the things that you can do to ensure that it is decentralized because it's in your hands. You just run a node, you pay attention, and uh, you, you take self-custody and then and then this prophecy can continue to stay uh coming
1: true i just wanted to comment um i mean i think it's interesting that we are seeing um like a bitcoin economy rising up in parallel to the current global economy and um I, i always think it's kind of interesting to think of this bitcoin economy as kind of being um I mean, it, it's kind of a, it's an economy that's that's really next to. It's not within, but it's really next to the current economy, and it's um, it's growing larger and larger. It's taking more and more share of the current economy um, as it grows. I mean, right now, what is it like? Maybe between a tenth and a fifth of a thousandth <laughs> of the total global economy, um, and we're seeing. You know, we're basically seeing kind of how recessions and how current policy um, and just how, how global uh, economic um, strife uh, may be represented in Bitcoin. And then we're also seeing how Bitcoin may respond to these types of things. So I've, I've said this a couple of times, but like seeing how Bitcoin is responding to this recession is really interesting because you're seeing it contract the same way that you would see you know a contraction of purchasing power if If we were on a Bitcoin standard, if everyone was on a bitcoin standard and the and the world start having a little bit of uh, economic troubles, we would see a little contraction uh, in purchasing power the same way we're seeing now. And then as a response i I imagine that people would start working hard, harder to stack more or just to make more because they, they literally make more charge more for their for their goods and services with bitcoin being having less purchasing power and so i think we're seeing that happen now um kind of within our own little bitcoin ecosystem like i don't know about you guys but i feel more motivated to work now more than ever right i mean i you know i said this last time i was on the show but but my hourly wage is three x <laughs> higher than than it was three months ago, like of course I'm gonna work harder now, you know what I'm saying, so um, it's really interesting, just thinking of it in that way uh, I don't know if that made sense to you guys, but like um yeah i kinda I kind of see bitcoiners pulling themselves out of this economic you know uh uh like downturn um just naturally like we don't need a central planner we just we just have fucking sound money that works. And uh, and when we have a downturn, like we pull ourselves up. You're uh, you're making me think of a
7: kind of an it's it's a, it's a different point, but it's it's an interesting point. It's something we've discussed internally. Um, but if we were on a Bitcoin standard, so let's just say Bitcoin was the only money in the world, and it was totally fixed. Can the can the value? Of global assets exceed the value of the money supply right so like if we took all of the companies all the market cap all the real estate all the real commodities could the total value of all of those assets be worth more than
1: 21 million bitcoin um let me well i think i think maybe but then another interesting question could be could the value of the 21 million be more than the value of everything in other words could it be kind of forward projecting um and uh and, and represent value that's yet to be created because you know people just kind of assume that it's going to continue to go up in value and then i think that would actually cause maybe a little contraction so like that that in itself would be like okay we got a little too ahead of ourselves it would start to contract our purchasing power would start going down a little bit and then that's when we would see um you know, kind of this, this, these cycles where we would see um, uh, uh, probably more investment at that point because then you'd be incentivized to um, start investing since your money's starting to get, you know, a little bit less valuable. Um, so, I mean, I, I do think we'll still see these larger economic cycles on a Bitcoin standard where maybe we'll swing back and forth between representing, you know, a little bit more than the value of everything and representing a little bit less than the value of everything. I saw... I
7: fall on the other side a little bit, um, and I I think I think the value of assets. I think there's there's really no reason the money supply needs to be equivalent to all of the value in the world. Like unless people try to, for some reason, convert all assets to money, which just you know no one would ever do. Like there's really no fundamental reason that it has to be of an equivalent size. But I think that's actually interesting and kind of a good thing and and, and the reason i think this kind of thought experiment is worthwhile um, is because like in a world like let's just assume that the value of assets you could say okay all the companies in the world are worth a total value of 40 million bitcoin um those bitcoin don't exist they could never all be converted to bitcoin but like that is the valuation because you know we're looking at future growth we're looking at future cash flows and and, you know, it's like if we build new things, we've added value, real value has been created. And and I agree that the, kind of the purchasing power of Bitcoin could improve because, you know, more. It, it represents a larger amount of value in the world. I think those things are compatible. But um, I think what would be interesting is if that is how the system would work and assets could appreciate over the value of Bitcoin, then you you actually do have this avenue for expansion for money expansion but one that is non it's not dilutive of the money supply so it doesn't dilute the value of money it actually expands the amount of value solely via proof of work and and what i mean by proof of work is you had to actually build a company that had value and it, it almost puts this thing in the system where the only way you can get that extra value is literally by adding value. And I think that's interesting.
0: Let's, um, I want to hear from John Har for a second, then we'll go with Gabor and Wicked. John, you, you came off of mute for a second. Uh, did you have something you wanted to add there?
10: Oh yeah. Thanks Alex. Um, I'll just, yeah, a couple quick comments because I think this thought experiment that Steven raised is super interesting. And I mean, this is one that we could go super deep on, but, but yeah, my, my general thoughts on this are, I, I think it is logically possible, Actually, I would even say likely for the sum total of the monetary value of all, let's just call them assets in this example, to exceed the sum total of all the, the money. Um, because the assets can produce and accrue varying amounts of value due to the velocity of money, that you know basically means money can change hands many times over. Um, different people can, uh, you know, earn the same quote unquote money multiple times. Um, and the value of the assets is meant to represent, you know, Stephen mentioned this, but it's value, which can accrue to the assets over many years in the future. So, yeah, I I think in a functional, healthy economy, um, the, the monetary value of all the assets would exceed the sum total of all the money. Um, and again, like Stephen said, it, it, If that's the case, then that means all the money can't buy all of the assets. And at first thought, people might say, oh, that can't be right. Um, But I think it actually makes sense because, again, we're talking about assets that are money generating enterprises over many years into the future. And there's no need for instant convertibility of all the assets into money. That's just like the sticker price if you wanted to acquire the asset at a given point in time. Um, so anyway, I think it's a super interesting thought experiment. I just, just wanted to add those, those couple ideas.
11: Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. Um, there will always be assets that have monetary value and intrinsic value, and they're not um, necessarily equal. So uh, that would be point one. And point two, uh, I think it, it is like, to me, it's less important, like whether all the value in the world can be captured by Bitcoin even if let's just say 5% of asset value or 10% gets uh, gets captured, what's interesting to me is how it gets distributed. Because right now, the current fiat monetary system distributes uh, value top-down through various trickle-down effects where, I don't know, it's something like 90-plus percent of money really gets stuck with a few percent of people. Um, Bitcoin does it the other way around. It's sort of organically, people opt out of the system. And so the distribution of, value is more broad and different and it gets in the hands of people who don't necessarily benefit from the fiat system so to me even if last value gets captured by bitcoin whatever percentage of assets are going to be have um you know monetary value in bitcoin terms that being distributed to the right people will have tremendous impact on creating prosperity for those people who didn't necessarily benefit from the fiat system. So I think that's one of the greatest value of Bitcoin, its distribution
10: system. And and this brings up an interesting question, which is, um, what would cause the demand or and the value for money versus the demand and the value for assets to fluctuate in a society? And this, gets back to the idea of, of what is money. Uh, I feel like that's the question that it always comes back to. But um, I, you know, I would argue that the more certain or optimistic someone is about the future, the more likely they are to want to hold assets, meaning the things that have the potential to produce and accrue value into the future instead of money. Because you know, we all know money is many different things, but one of the things it is, it's a hedge against the future. You have more optionality if you hold money. So the more uncertain or pessimistic someone is about the future, the more likely they are to want to hold money instead of assets. Um, And then money, again, one of the definitions, I think the Austrians do a great job of this, defining money as the most marketable liquid good in society. So again, if you're more uncertain, pessimistic, you're more likely to want to hold money. And I think we're kind of seeing this play out right now, um, w- there's more uncertainty, there's more pessimism. You know, that that's basically when people are concerned about a recession, that's another way of just saying more uncertainty, more pessimism. You see the value of assets decline and people prefer to be holders of cash and of money. Um, so I just wanted to throw those ideas out there. And Maybe a final comment is uh, that there is an interesting dynamic here where it's like, if you move to an extreme level of uncertainty and pessimism, then money becomes entirely useless. But that, you know, That's the world resorting back to survival assets. So um, we could put that aside for now. I don't think anyone's assuming that the modern world is is going to be turned back by thousands of years. But I, I just thought it was interesting to raise this idea of more certainty and optimism means hold assets and value assets more highly and more uncertainty and pessimism means lower values of assets and more demand for money.
1: I think this is a yeah, this is a, a really interesting conversation. And honestly, like, <laughs> starting to go a little bit over my head. You know, if I'm being honest, I need to think more about all these ideas. Um, uh, I I do tend to believe. So I'm I'm in the camp of of this like, you've seen it in my handle and in a lot of people's handles, and it, it was kind of invented by Knut. But this everything divided by 21 million camp, right? I mean, I do think because Bitcoin is um the only you know truly fixed supply money uh and is literally the the most scarce thing in the universe you know it has absolute mathematical scarcity i think it will trend towards representing the value of everything um that's just the way i see it because like i mean you know just just mathematically when you have one thing that's absolutely scarce and Relative to everything else, it just always appreciates in value.
0: Um, I don't, I don't agree with that necessarily, and I'll explain that in just a second. But I think what we need to do is hit announcements really quick. We haven't done announcements for this segment yet, and then we will keep rolling. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning, welcome. If you've never been here, we do talk about Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for two hours. Um, it's a great place to learn about Bitcoin, great place to get your morning news. Also a podcast on Spotify and Apple. Um, something that's really cool that's coming up that you guys should definitely check out is going to be the Pacific Bitcoin Conference. You can go to PacificBitcoin.LA. Again, PacificBitcoin.LA. It's going to be the biggest Bitcoin-only conference of the year. Some really cool things coming up, events, celebrations, parties, sports. No shitcoiners on the stage, no shitcoin sponsors, You get to meet, by the way, anybody is welcome. You're all welcome, but there's not going to be any uh, of those upstage. So exciting times. Um, I'd love to hear from Stephen Lubka and anybody else on the SWAN team while you're excited for uh, the Pacific Bitcoin Conference before we continue with our uh, macro discussion.
7: Yeah. So one of the reasons I'm excited for it, besides that it is just an absolute stunning venue, in L.A. in November, aka not going to be cold, um, is that we are probably most people in this room were at Bitcoin 2022. And I had a great time. It was an amazing conference. It was, um, Bitcoin Magazine did an absolutely astonishing job. But when, with just the audience and going through it, while the speakers, everything, Bitcoin focused, I'm, you know, it's, I was looking, I was hoping for a more intimate Bitcoin-focused event. And there's there's a need for both. There's a need for a big tent that brings in everybody, that brings in lots of people. But there's also a need for a more, a more intimate venue that can drill down much, much deeper into these very Bitcoin-focused issues that we all love to get together to talk about. And I'm really looking forward to to. Having that experience, meeting you guys, spending time with Bitcoiners, and uh, that's that's what excites me about it.
9: So let me jump in here for a second because this will be a very cool event. And yes, Stephen was spot on on how it will feel—large enough to be meaningful, but intimate enough that you can have like deep conversations with everyone. But what we're planning to do goes beyond the conference. We're thinking about a. Bitcoin week in L.A. So if you have availability for planning your vacation, if you have some time off, plan to be there for the full week because there will be a lot of things going on beyond the conference. We'll have uh, a run. We'll have side parties. We'll have surfing. We'll have a lot of cool stuff going on. It's L.A., which is a beautiful city, Santa Monica, which is unbelievable, and the venue is really unique uh so hope to see everyone there it'll be a lot of fun
0: anybody else from the team want to comment on Pacific Bitcoin before we move on
12: it's gonna be awesome
0: yeah I'm super excited for that all right cool back to the earlier discussion about um the the money supply reflecting the actual value of assets wicked the reason why I think it doesn't necessarily. it's not necessarily the same thing as is kind of like because I view things from a, uh, when, when it comes to money and and storage of value or, or value of anything as, as kind of um, I look at it from a physics perspective, everything to me is energy. It's either stored or deployed. So to me money, investments, etc are essentially static energy, whereas, um, uh, money when you deploy it is, it becomes kinetic. So maybe that's not the best way to explain it, but, but to me, it's all energy. Like, like wealth is stored energy. Um, to me, gold is like a battery for storing wealth for storing energy. The, the advantage of gold in terms of storing value is, is that it's, it's essentially indestructible. Uh, so it's a battery with no expiration date. I, I view Bitcoin as a, as a storage mechanism for energy a perfect arbitrage for energy. And when you're storing something else, you're essentially storing st- energy statically. You know, if you're sitting on a gigantic pile of copper, same kind of thing, there's a certain market value to it. Um, and like Gabor, the, the, the price tag is what, or maybe it was John that said that's the price tag is what you would um, spend if you wanted to buy it at any given point in time. So it's it's not the same. It's either or. You're not storing energy in both a battery and something else simultaneously. It's one of the two. So we'll go. Go ahead, Wicked. You can respond to that. And then yep. um, Terrence has got his hand up as well.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so I mean, I, I, I like this idea, Alex. And I think, um, I mean, one, th- one thing I think about, uh, you know, post-hyper-Bitcoinization, uh, once we're all on the Bitcoin standard, is like, what will investments look like, right? Because, y- you know, with a fixed supply money, um, it's pretty difficult (laughs) to imagine a world where, um, you can really, you know, expect a a big ROI on any, any investment. I mean, maybe you hit a home run and you invest in a company that all of a sudden, you know, sells a bunch of product and you make a lot of Bitcoin back. Um, but I think, uh, investment will, will drastically shift in the way that people think about it. And it will be driven, um, Actually, from a top-down perspective, it, it, it will be driven by the largest holders of Bitcoin because it will be in their best interest to continue you know, uh, increasing productivity and, and production of, of new technology, which makes you know, products cheaper, essentially which makes Bitcoin more valuable, right? Like imagine somebody with 100,000 Bitcoin, and if they could invest 1,000 Bitcoin in a new technology – which would make their 999,000 remaining Bitcoin more valuable than the initial hundred thousand, right. Then that's, that's, you know, incentivized for them to do that and not expect any ROI on that thousand Bitcoin investment because the remainder is now more valuable than the, than the, the initial amount. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting future if that's the way we think about it. And then in terms of what you were saying, Alex, like, you know, uh, energy storage, right? I mean, you can think of this like um, in, in that circumstance, you would have a um, thousand Bitcoin would be invested. You're kind of storing some energy or you're, or you're allocating some energy towards this new technology you're trying to build. But then that itself creates more return in economic growth and energy, which would then map onto the remainder of Bitcoin and make it more valuable in response. I and mean, that's how I think of it, at least. I don't know if that's going to actually work
0: yeah, out. I I personally don't think that that's an accurate mental model, but I'm not going to, I mean, I don't want to get bogged down into that. Um, we could probably talk about that for um, a long time, but I mean, the reason why I don't think it is, and I'll just like, like very briefly, I mean, these guys act in here, Gabor, Guy, John are actually more qualified than I am to, to speak to this, but I want to hit this really quick and then we're going to move on to Terrence. And that is, Investments by nature are designed to take advantage of something in the future, right? That's the whole concept of capital accumulation, which is then deployed into an investment slash idea slash concept business that is going to generate something of greater value moving forward. And, and, um, again if you if you if you deploy it into something else you're changing the storage mechanism that that's storing the energy so to speak so i'm just going to leave it at that terence go ahead
13: uh yes i wanted to talked about how nobody believes the internet will you know go away um, that's actually correct except for certain gold bugs I've talked to on Twitter spaces. Some of you guys may have heard people like that. Um, and, and elsewhere where they talk.
0: Man, yeah, Terrence, you're cutting out to the degree that it's, it's impossible. To
13: understand uh, what you're everything saying centralized online, whether it's the carrier.
0: Can you hear me?
13: Okay. Uh, yeah. Can yeah. You the
0: me? first part of what you said cut out. And then um, this last part cut out all I really heard was something about gold bugs. Right.
13: Yeah. So, um, to John Horst's point, um, just a slight counter about the internet going out and yeah, there are gold out. bugs in you again. That, that, it's that's impossible it. to understand sorry, what you're
0: saying. Never mind. I'm sorry, Terrence. Get better internet.
7: Um, so i will we'll hop in there. Quick comment. Maybe Terrence will come back uh, on a different connection. Um, I, I think it's important to note that, like. Bitcoin does not need to represent like on a, on a mathematical monetary level, like Bitcoin does not need to be equivalent to all the total sum value of all value in the world to go to millions of dollars per Bitcoin. Right. Like it's not like that's not a precondition for Bitcoin's massive success. Like Bitcoin can be a tremendously, tremendously successful store of value, pristine collateral, just you know, best money we've ever seen. And it, and it it doesn't, it doesn't require that like, you know, all value crams into to Bitcoin and the Bitcoin market cap is the largest thing in the entire world. Um this, I just it wanna, would be be the
1: only cool thing Art. oh what was that? i said it would be the only thing right i mean because because again i think you're framing it market cap priced in dollars right but what happens once you start pricing market caps in terms of bitcoin i think that's when things start getting interesting
7: yeah but so and that kind of circle back circles back to the original kind of thrust of this like that is the interesting question like let's say dollars don't exist let's say there's just bitcoin i'm i'm in the camp that if you were to add up the market cap of all the corporations and all the real estate in the world, it would probably be 50 million Bitcoin, 100 million Bitcoin. It would be more than 21 million. Um, and, and that's OK. I, I, actually think, what I, actually, I actually think that's good. And here's why. If there can be monetary expansion. Not via the money, not via the denominator or, the, or what everything is denominated in. When you expand the unit that everything is denominated in, you inject a lot of noise and you lose a lot of signal. So not expansion via the money, but expansion, like I said, via proof of work, via creating productive enterprise, via driving the human race forward, by doing all these things. If expansion can exist there... And I don't have this, I don't have this worked out in a bulletproof way, but I imagine that actually solves some of the tensions that exist between with people's critiques of deflationary systems or of fixed monetary systems. And I'm not saying those critiques are valid, and I'm not saying that even if that expansion didn't exist, that a fixed or a deflationary system wouldn't work. But I think it actually produces this avenue where some of the tensions or drawbacks can actually be addressed. Via monetary um monetary substitutes, assets, homes, we build more stuff, we produce more commodities, and that, that can actually resolve some of the
1: some of the tensions. So I think that's interesting. So, like, a, I mean, you're talking about monetary expansion where the units get more valuable as opposed to printing more units, right? So yeah, so I'm not referring to
7: printing more units like you can't print more Bitcoin. The, it, everything is priced in Bitcoin. So like the unit in which you are denominating and pricing everything is never altered, is never cha- never changed. But essentially, quote unquote, new money can enter the system by inventing Google. Right. Like somebody comes along like Google doesn't exist. And then they invent Google and they've added a ton of value to the world or, you know, insert whatever company you want. And now those shares of that company, well, those are money substitutes, right? Like they, they function as money in certain, they're not, they're not literally money in the same way Bitcoin's money, but they function as a form of value or as a form of money. And there has therefore been expansion. There are new money substitutes that have entered circulation. And I think that can satisfy certain tensions, where uh, people critiques of like deflationary and fixed monetary systems get really bogged down in, uh, well, what if there's there's no more units of money? Like, you know, I think that that actually can be modified or mitigated via, well, there's going to be new companies being invented. Those shares will get distributed. Those shares will have value. Um, again, this isn't something that I've I've worked through all the way to a bulletproof form, but it is something. All right, so,
0: well, let, let's do this because we've got about three minutes left in the show. Um, I would like to get a thought from Tomer. Then I want to go around and and get some kind of closing comments from Gabor and Stephen and Guy and John. So, uh, Tomer, go ahead yeah. and then we'll go yeah, to just closing to, comments. To weigh
12: in on, on this theory of uh, what, what percentage of the world's supply of things should the money – Supply be equal to, I, I think I would I would tend to agree with you, Stephen. I would I would challenge the premise that it ought to be equal by uh, by first of all accusing it of being some kind of false precision. Like for for the twenty one million Bitcoin to be equal to the value of all things in the world, we need to know all how many things there are in the world, and we need to keep like a ledger of all of them, and and we need to decide which ones are worth exactly how much Bitcoin? Like, you know, this book is worth this many and there's that many of those book, And it just becomes like this impossible record to keep track of because what exists in the world is dynamic and constantly changing. And you won't say, you won't be going into your supermarket today. Yesterday, let's say an Apple was one Satoshi and you say, well, you know, in Japan, they grew, they grew another, uh, they, they manufactured 16 more cars. So it has to be less you know, it has to be reduced by something less than that. So there's just this false precision. And I think what it comes down to is you have to look at it from this microeconomic point of view where there are two people, someone supplying something and someone demanding it. And they will get together and they will have a discussion and say, I'd like to offer you this much money for that thing. And they'll say, well, I'd like a little bit more. And they say, well, how about somewhere in the middle? And so that each and every transaction is really a negotiation. It's an agreement that gets settled between two parties knowing a bunch of information, but neither of them completely omniscient about the entire state of the entire global economy. And so that doesn't actually answer whether the price is more or less. It really says more what's locally true and what the shrewdness and information level are of the parties engaged in each transaction. And I think that's what you're going to end up with because you will never end up with all the information in the world present in every single person's head. So that's... That's my uh, intervention into, the, into that kind of uh, theorizing.
0: It's been a fascinating conversation to I me. Mean, you started out with macro and we've dove in, we've dove in. We, we, it's become a deep dive into really what is money. And it's a great combo. I, I love that we went there today. Um, it's time to start wrapping up though. So let's go with some closing comments. Gabor? Uh, do you have anything you want to, you want to close with?
11: <laughs> I'm not going to dig a deeper hole in the, the value thing, but I would like to say I sent you, Alex, this note. Uh, there's, uh, I've done an analysis in 2019 on uh, like monetary value and intrinsic value, and I think the uh, just maybe you look at that sometime um, and uh, that sort of answers some of these questions around whether there's some total of, value of all assets can be bigger than the monetary value of things uh and uh yeah it's a, it's a good slide I'll, I'll repost it um but the uh, sort of closing thought i have is like i'm it's so weird that we have all these academic conversations now i, I always thought that bitcoin was just practical money for people who have kind of you know no uh, no option or like they're, they're That's might my, my parents uh and grandparents went through two regimes, national socialists and communists back in Hungary. And uh, it would, would have been great if they had a practical uh, sort of like uh, tool to opt out from systems. I didn't really care about like, oh, this is going to take over the world or whatever. Bitcoin is just kind of would have been useful for them. And there are a lot of people like that today. And uh, I think it would be interesting to like in the future to have a discussion on, some of them more like practical use cases and, and you know what is bitcoin for people who use it you know in, in random smaller countries that are struggling from 70 plus percent inflation like what do people in turkey do and and um, that, that's that's my closing comment i, uh, I really love the and, and love the ability to discuss the academic things but i think it's also more important to just see some of the use cases from, from practical and practical scenarios. So that would be my closing thought. Um, and I'd, maybe I'll, I'll recommend some people as well.
0: Excellent. Thanks good. for hanging out today. Um, if you post it in the Nest or shoot me the, the DM, we can um, also post it in the Telegram group. Guy, do you have any closing thoughts?
9: Just a thank you. Again, exciting conversation. Uh, great to be here uh next week we have cpi print as we know inflation is the name of the game so let's track what's going on and what fed will do and how markets will react so hope to be here soon again
10: see you all
0: awesome thanks for hanging out today Guy john harr any closing thoughts
10: yeah yeah um i i love the conversation we did obviously stray a little bit from macro and more into the theory but i love that stuff um and I'd just I'll add a few more thoughts. You know, I think money is just one of these, one of the many things in an economy that people demand and value. So when I think about this, everything divided by twenty-one million concept, um, I think of that as everything which currently has some sort of monetary premium um, a- associated with it, divided by twenty-one million. So the idea being that Bitcoin has the potential to capture all the monetary premium in the world, given it has the best characteristics of money. I'm not saying that's around the corner. I'm not saying that's a certainty, but I think that's kind of this like Uber bull case for what Bitcoin's future could be. Um, But with all that said, assets in our society are always going to have value because we as humans, we demand and we value more than just money. And the assets are valued based on the money that they can generate into the future. Um, so, and like I said, I love this topic. I think the theory is important because if we don't have a good understanding of the theory, then you end up in situations like we're in now where people just take it as dogma to say, oh, we need 2% inflation for a growing economy and, and no one really looks into that. Um, or they, they say, yeah, sound money just can't work because blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you end up with systems like we have now where you end up with people saying, oh, let's go for modern monetary theory. So. I think the theory is super important. So I, I love talking about it at any time.
0: Excellent. Okay. Uh, let's go with closing comments from Stephen Lubka and then we also have Corey Clipson that just came up. Go ahead, Stephen.
10: Yeah,
7: I, I totally agree with that, John. I think the, the theory is really important and I love this conversation and in a lot of ways, like because monetary systems and financial systems are these kind of abstract things, like, you can't go take a picture of the global monetary system. Um, the theory is really our attempts to describe how it functions and how we need it to function. So it, it really is an attempt to arrive at reality, to arrive at something real and tangible, even though that it may be descri- describing something that is kind of abstract and complex. Um, but I think that's one of the great, like, well, I think one of the greatest things Bitcoin has ever done is it has inspired an entire generation of people to dig into these theories of money, to to monetary questions. And this is something that I've even learned from you, John, um, that even at, at Goldman and at top investment banks and top financial institutions, very few, if any, people are really thinking about money itself, right? Like, There's not a lot of questioning, there's not a lot of int- intellectual horsepower that is being directed at really, really evaluating, are our assumptions true? Are there alternate systems? Are there alternate implementations? And how do we, you know, are, are we sure about what we know? And I think it's very important. I mean, you know, I, I one of my favorite quotes is the essence of science is doubt, this great doubt. And without doubt in what we know and without people who are willing to question, who are willing to reevaluate established knowledge, we don't move forward. And I think Bitcoin has blown the doors wide open for that sort of thought, experimentation and reevaluation. Uh, and I find that to just be
0: a beautiful thing. I agree. Absolutely. Love that. Uh, Corey Clipston, good morning. Do you have anything you want to add as we close up here?
6: Well, I just dipped into uh, keep practicing my my reader ads for Pacific Bitcoin Conference. Um, So hopefully you'll give me an opportunity to try that. Uh, I love it. So Please do. Excellent. All right. All right. Listen, I am not a paid uh, TV host or radio host, so I'm not very good at these, but I'm going to do my best with with a little X-Temp shell. So Bitcoiners from around the world, if you've never been to the Pacific Bitcoin Conference before, This is your chance because November 10th and 11th is the very first Pacific Bitcoin conference. You will be one of the OGs when we look back on this in the year 2035 and we say, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's already year number 14. I can't believe that I used to be able to get a ticket to Pacific Bitcoin conference for less than 10,000 US dollars. For a general admission pass. What a moment in time that was. Cola cost a nickel. Bitcoin, Bitcoin conference tickets cost under $10,000. Really was quite amazing how far we've come. Anyway, no, seriously, it's going to be unbelievably fun to get together with everybody here. Uh, some people did not abandon SoCal. It's still sunny. It's still the only warm, dry coastline in the most wealthy, most powerful nation in the history of the world and uh this concert, this uh this venue is so much fun it's the barker hangar at santa monica airport they used to do like mtv movie awards and american music awards and everything like that there we have so much stuff planned um great speaker lineup and uh and we'll be there all week as well the entire swan team's coming in for the whole week from around the world and lots of other great bitcoiners are coming in for the whole week and there will be side events and pool parties and hikes and surfing and bar crawls and all of that you know saturday sunday monday tuesday wednesday leading up to the conference so highly recommend coming in a little early if you work for a bitcoin company or invest in bitcoin companies and you want to hang out and do a little business and networking as well we do have office space and fast wi-fi at the venue so just get in touch with a member of the swan team and uh, we'll work that out so you can come and uh come and hang in the three days before the conference and, and get some work done and, and meet some other bitcoiners but um yeah it should be just an absolutely amazing time i believe tickets are going on sale next week so just uh jump on that early early bird guest list um so you get the first notification when the tickets go on sale because we have a very limited number that are going out for like the cheapest cheapest price um so just go to PacificBitcoin.LA, enter your email address and then you'll get the first notification as soon as the uh, tickets go on sale But uh, Love to see you guys out here in Los Angeles this fall, and uh, we'll do this every year. And uh, yeah, there you go.
0: Well done, Corey. Well done. You should be you should be a paid ad reader, in my opinion. Looking forward to this; it's going to be exciting. Uh, over to Chris, Bitcoin Mag. Any announcements?
14: Yeah, no. Uh, big announcement from Bitcoin Magazine as well. While we've got our fall planned out with the Bitcoin, uh, the Pack Bitcoin Conference. The spring of next year, we're taking our talents back to South Beach. We are going to Miami. Corey Clipston is going to be a speaker at uh, Bitcoin 2023. We're really excited to have him. You know, We wanted to make sure that he had a chance to enjoy the Miami weather in the spring. It's quite lovely out there. It's cool. It's not too hot. So we're really looking forward to that. We will be doing Bitcoin Magazine Live at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. George McCall, uh, George McHale of Bitcoin Magazine will be talking about all the announcements there, as well as talking about the launch speakers, Corey being one of them. So we're really looking forward to that. Uh, and then at 2 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be talking to Daniel Blatten. He made an article. Uh, he is an ESG guy. Uh, don't, don't boo me off the stage quite yet. And he did his own research and found that Bitcoin is quite great for the environment and wrote a whole op-ed about it. He uh, actually himself, he says that He's been, you know, part of the Greenpeace organization since the early '90s. And when they put out their piece saying that, you know, Bitcoin mining is bad and that it should be banned, basically being uh, paid by the XRP guys, and uh, he like did his own research and said, like, this is all a load of garbage. This is not true. Uh, I did my own research, and he was thought that, you know, Bitcoin was going to be worse for the environment than Bitcoiners say, but um, not as bad as what Greenpeace says. And he was actually blown away by the results. So uh we're gonna be doing Twitter spaces with him at two p m Eastern right following Bitcoin magazine live and uh as Alex says, "Get on the mission, do your own research and this guy that's he's more progressive, says he you know believes in the efG narrative uh is definitely tainted by that and says that you know it's all a bunch of lies, and he's now a Bitcoiner, and uh we'd love to hear his perspective, and we're glad that he wrote it for Bitcoin magazine so that's it back to you, Alex.
0: All right, guys, that's a wrap. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin. We do it every day, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, roll for two hours. You should check it out. It's also a podcast up on Spotify and Apple. You can throw myself a follow or Swan Bitcoin to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin Magazine, sponsors of the show, my crew. Shane Satz for Life Producer Jacob. I am your host, Alex Danzig. I work with Swan Bitcoin. If you want to know about Swan, shoot me a DM. I am happy to help you. Thank you again to the speakers, Swan private crew who came up here today, hung out, talking macro. We do it every Friday. You're welcome to join us. I appreciate any time we have speakers come into the space because I admire you guys for the time that you spend out of your personal life to bring everybody the, the good word on this bright orange future. This is what we call Get on the Mission. There's another 7 billion plus people on the planet. They need to hear about this thing. Let's go. I love all of you guys. Everybody go out there today. Have a great day and crush it.